Today, our theme has been, from the first of the year, um, Christ is better. When I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to make this fit, and the title probably is not going to match, but you kind of get the idea. Uh, Christ is better than our ulterior motives, or misplaced motives. And the reason why I want to bring this out is because we're going to th- see three characters in this uh, cluster of eight verses You're going to see Martha, Mary, and Judas, and obviously Jesus uh, is there in the mix. But uh, we'll we'll mention him as kind of, he's the apex, he's the zenith of the whole story, you know. So uh, we'll assume that Jesus is going to be mentioned. But these three others, we're going to be talking about their motives. Not so much with Mary and not so much with Judas, but I'm really going to hone in on Martha. And I think you'll see something here, Lord willing, that will hopefully encourage you. And maybe you'll do inventory on your own motives, too, and, and, and think like, okay, yeah. Maybe I don't need to change what I'm doing. Maybe I need to change my thinking about why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is going to be interesting. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had died, whom Jesus raised from the dead. That's what chapter 11 dealt with. Remember John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So Jesus can give resurrection life because that's who he is. His doing life is based on him being life. Not bios life, not anthropos life, but zoe life. It's a life exclusive only to Jesus. He has life and life to give freely to all who would receive. So then look at verse 2. Then they made a supper for him, Jesus. And look at this. And Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those reclining with him. Now, you recall the last time Martha was serving and her sister Mary was reclining with Jesus, there was some exchanges of words. Remember? We're going to get into that. The the Martha syndrome is rampant in people's lives. And it's not as though if you're this type A personality and you're really into uh, servitude and serving and ministering, which we need more of that. We need more of that. And this church is abundant with that, but it would be the more the merrier. But she doesn't change her activity. She changes her her identity in that she's not serving to get something with an ulterior motive. Now she's serving. She's doing the same thing. She's not being admonished. She's not being corrected. She's not even uh, emotionally disturbed on the inside. She's doing this from a place of rest. She's, She's serving From knowing that Jesus is life, she's not serving to get life. Big difference. Then Mary took a pound of ointment, pure spikenard. We'll talk about all the, you know, all the details about that. Uh, Very costly. And anointed the feet with Jesus and wiped um, his feet uh, with her hair. I think Mark's gospel extends it like he, you know, as a head to toe thing. 
And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Adam just sprayed some Febreze back in the um, sound booth, and I walked into it. I was like, hmm, nice. Um, <laughs> but that's like a $3 bottle, right? This, we'll get into the cost of this. It's very costly. Then said one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, the one who was to betray him, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So you have Mary and her motive. She's, she's, like, she's making this huge sacrifice not to get anything, but because in Christ she has everything. You could see this motive. She's not trying to get anything from Jesus. And then you have Judas and his motive. And, he, and he's trying to come across that he has, you know, the poor's best interest in mind. And he said, verse 6, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and held the money bag and carried the things put in it. Then Jesus said, let her alone, leave her alone. She has kept this uh, for the day of my burial. And I don't know what she knew about that, but I just think that's very almost prophetic. Um, for you have the poor with you always, but you do not always have me. In, in like the physical sense, we have Jesus with us always in our hearts in the spiritual sense. But um, let's pray and then we'll get into this. Jesus, thank you that we could Again, gather with each other, and I know you're in our midst, and thank you that we could gather around your word, and I just pray that the Holy Spirit would just glorify Jesus and be our teacher and our guide, and comfort those that uh, the need comfort, Lord, and encourage those that need encouragement. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So motives. We could easily see what people do, but we often may or may not know why they do what they do, right? That's safe to say. I could see what you're doing, but I don't know why you're doing it. And I'm not, it's not my job to really you know, investigate people's motives or judge people's motives. But this can be tricky sometimes because sometimes people do good things with a bad ulterior motive, and sometimes people do bad things with good motives, right? It could, all the wires can be crossed sometimes. And only thing we could come out with this is only God knows why we do what we do. He knows our hearts. Martha had her reasons, Mary had her reasons, and Judas has his reasons. Um, I don't see my wife, but we were having a discussion, I think it was yesterday. Um, yeah, I think it was yesterday, the day before. She, she has what she calls magic morning. She goes to Seal Beach uh, on the regular and she reads her Bible, writes in her journal, walks the pier, uh, has a bagel and a tea, um, uh, you know, and then she calls it her magic morning, right? It's self-care. It's important. You, you guys need to take time out for yourself. It's self-care. Jesus did this, right? He, he often, uh, you know, he removed himself and he spent time with the Father. And um, I do this in therapy and clinical counseling. I tell people to do this, but I don't do it myself. It's so hypocritical. Um, but she was saying when she was there, there was this guy on a, on a box. It's where we get the phrase standing on a soapbox from when people didn't have social media or any, any ways to communicate other than verbally. Um, so 
I said, and he was standing on a soapbox, not an actual soapbox, but a, a platform, and he was preaching to everyone walking by that wanted to just walk down the pier. You've seen this at Huntington Beach. You've seen this at Seal Beach. You've seen that. Uh, I've seen this also at Newport Beach. Uh, they're just, you know, it's, it's a place where people could share their faith. It's really not my style, um, but I asked her, I said, well, what's your opinion about that? And uh, she, she gave me her opinions. I said, here's my opinion. I don't think I would do it. It's not my style, but I'm not going to condemn it. And I feel like God could use it. I don't think like people are just going to say, walk up and say, what must I do to be saved? But I think sometimes because people are so used to uh, digital communication, that when you see something analog, when you see something organic like that, it's almost startling. It almost sticks with you a little bit more, right? And so I'm feeling like people, you know, they're walking with their families. Okay, let's get away from this, like, crazy Christian lunatic, honey. And, <laughs> and they're like, Did, what was that guy saying about John 3.16, you know? What's this whole... Um, I don't know what goes on. Or maybe a year down the road, you know, people are processing uh, that... And I said, what do you think his motive is? You know, because I was going to be talking about motives today. And, and I thought when I used to do this kind of thing, to me it was more like, have you guys ever jumped off bridges into like your 50-foot bridge and into the water or jumped off cliffs when you're snow skiing or I, anyone? So you're at the edge and you're, you're you know. Um, so it's the feeling that it's the adrenaline. Right, you're there. When you're you're on the edge, you're like you're daring yourself. You're daring yourself, and there's adrenaline there. And I thought, I said to Jen, I said, I wonder if it's an adrenaline thing because people very seldom have a confrontational conversation about the unforbidden, like politics and religion, right? And then when you're evangelizing, you're asking people, where are you going to spend eternity, heaven or hell, right? It's a very like personal subject, you know, and it's it's almost it's more, it's intimate, it's confrontational, and it's challenging more so that if I was to walk up with a vacuum or a Ginsu knife set and come to your house and try to sell it to you, right? This guy's like, he's not selling anything because it's for free, but he's advertising, you know, that if you just receive the Lord Jesus, then you, first you have to admit you're a dirty, rotten sinner, and then, you know, Admit to these terms, and then you can receive Jesus and receive the free gift of eternal life. And I agree with all of that. I, am, I agree with that, and I believe that, and I used to do that. I used to have a law that when I went on the airplane, whoever sat next to me was God's divine appointment that I would have to evangelize them. Can you imagine, like, sitting next to me on the plane or someone like that? You're like, oh, my word. And this was before, like, I had this law before people had the noise-counseling uh, headphones, <laughs> the gospel-counseling headphones. Um, and I felt my motive was, it, it, like, the word superstition and religious or religion can almost be synonymous and interchangeable because I made this law that wasn't in the Bible, but I imposed it upon myself that I was less of a Christian and God would love me not as much and I wouldn't be as daring for God and, you know, ambitious for the kingdoms per se if I didn't fulfill my law of I must share the gospel with everyone that sits next to me uh, for however many hours that flight was. And 
I look back and I'm like, I don't like that guy either. You know, I don't want to sit next to me on an airplane. But my motive was not necessarily that I loved that person or I wanted to have a, like a, a genuine dialogue and hear from them and a give and take discussion. My motive was all about myself. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like maybe, maybe the benefit was good. And I thought about that verse in Jude where he says, some people save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Others save with compassion, making a difference. The last few verses of the book of Jude towards the end of the Bible. So Martha, if you look back with me in John chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had died. This is a miracle. We discussed this at great length in chapter 11. And he was raised from the dead by the one who is resurrection and life. And they made a dinner. They made food. You know, it was dinner time, supper time for him. And Martha served. And Lazarus, it's like, what are you tired from? You've just been laying in the grave for four days. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> he was one of those reclining with Jesus. So let's look back at the way Martha was, her motives pre-Lazarus. You have a post-Lazarus Martha, which is here, but you also have a pre-Lazarus. This is her brother. Her brother died. And before her brother died, she had a different motive of why she was doing what she was doing. After her brother was raised from the dead, she had a different motive for why she was doing. She didn't change her activity. She changed her identity about why she was doing what she was doing. See what I'm saying? So we don't want to condemn the serving. We just want to focus on the motive of why we do what we do. So in Luke chapter 10, let's look at pre-resurrection Martha. And it should be on the screen. Yeah, there it is. Um, and as they went, it happened that he entered into a certain village, Jesus, and a certain woman named Martha received him uh, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she came and said, Lord, do you not care? I think this is interesting. Jesus, do you not care? Do you not care? I mean, she really cares. She is super distracted. She's in the zone. She is like all duty and discipline and must do, must do, must do. And I don't know if this was like, you know how there's different dynamics with siblings. You might have a party a party sister and then more of a dutiful sister. And I'm not trying to point out my wife's dynamics with her sister who has everyone's birthday and all everyone's scheduled out and she homeschools and Jennifer's the opposite. Um, so I don't know if it's like a, that sort of dynamic, but she's, she's so concerned that Jesus does not care because what he's doing is he's, He's exchanged, he's doing life and he's being life with someone that's just sitting and fellowshipping intimately uh, with Jesus. Do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her. <laughs> he's, she's commanding Jesus. Tell her to help me. Stop what you're doing, Jesus. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. Who cares what you're doing? And my sister's like an idiot anyways, you know, she's lazy and what is she, you know, she can't. <laughs> it's, 
It's interesting, the law makes people mad, but grace makes them matter. Think about that. The law makes people mad because no one likes to be told what to do, but grace makes them matter because there's nothing that you can do. Just think about that. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Whoever has like... um, well, what was, the, what was your dog's name that used to come to church all the time? Gomez, and he was what kind of breed? Chihuahuas are so like, they're just fidgety, nervous dogs. They just, every Chihuahua, my aunt has a Chihuahua named Frito, and um, they're just so fidgety. And I just picture her, not like a Chihuahua, but just really just anxious and troubled by many things. Look at verse 42. Jesus said, but one thing is needful. It's like Jesus was not doing Moses 2.0 and he's coming in the tail end of um, the law and the prophets, 613 of those laws, and he narrows it down to one. One manifested in two. Love God and love your neighbor. He says, by this, the whole law hangs on this. It's this one thing. This one thing is needful. Mary has chosen that one thing, and it's the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I want you to look at this idea distracted. <laughs> look at her. She's texting, looking. Good thing she's got her mask and her gloves on, right? <laughs> Safe from germs, but not accidents. Distracted, right? And I, I just read in the news uh, yesterday uh, that Apple is trying to do away with smartphones, which I was going to actually go back to the flip phone, to be honest with you. <laughs> I was going to do that. Um, but I'm like, no, I'm going to keep my smartphone, because if they're getting rid of smartphones, then I'll just keep my smartphone. It'll be the, like the new flip phone, because it'll be old. But they're spending research and development dollars. Remember the Google Glass was not a success? But this is going to be um, implants in your eyes, almost like a contact lens. It's, it's something they're calling that's connected to VR. It's related to the IoT, the Internet of Things. Okay, anyways. Um, but I was thinking about this. You know where Jesus says towards the end, look, be ready, watch, wait, pray, look. Everyone already right now is like this. They're not looking. <laughs> they're swiping. You know, they're scrolling. It's really hard to kind of be present when I just had this intimate relationship with, <laughs> with technology, which I'm not saying is bad at all. I'm not saying it's bad, but I've just put it in perspective. Um, but Martha was distracted. And maybe perhaps we are too. I know I get distracted very easily. Now, To define what distracted means from the Bible, um, the Greek would have it to mean to drag all around. Could you imagine if you're dragging something? You know, that's why Jesus said no one puts his hand to the plow looking back. And and it has this idea of, like, it's it's something that's cumbersome. It's, It's dragging. It's very distracting. You have to tend to it. You have to give your attention towards it. Um, because you're delegating it to it. You don't need to, but we do it. It means burdensome or hindering as a weight or a drag. I don't know why they put embarrassing. I don't know how that relates. 
but it's, um, it's vexatious, it's cumbrous, it's cumbersome. Martha, you are so anxious and troubled and distracted about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. And I just put some thoughts related to this incident where it was pre, uh, pre-Martha's weird motives before we get to post-Lazarus uh, and her new motives. So Martha, Martha, you're so distracted by duty that you miss the delight of the Lord. Martha, Martha, this one thing's needful and important and goes beyond all things. That is fellowship and intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. Martha, Martha, you're getting anxiety over what you are doing and so worried what others are not doing that you're missing the good part. Have you ever felt yourself like that? Um, you know, you ever felt yourself like, well, why aren't, why aren't so-and-so in church? You've done it, maybe. Is that, okay, it's a church work day. Why isn't so-and-so here? Now, look, you know, if they make commitments, and they should, and I believe everyone should participate, but when I'm asking why someone is not here and not doing what I'm doing, is that an indication that I'm really enjoying what I'm doing and I'm doing it as unto the Lord? You know, when someone asks you, did you read your Bible today? Why are you asking? I mean, did you really enjoy reading your Bible? Because I know if you didn't read your Bible, you wouldn't ask me that question, you know? Just like the only time you've read it or something? Are you bragging about it? So, Martha, Martha, you can change the way you think and it will change the way you feel. Martha, what you think is needful and what is actually needful are two different things. Martha, Martha, it's okay to serve and to be dutiful, but why are you doing it? Are you working and doing your service to get life? Or can you learn to work and do the same things because you have life? and you're experiencing it, and you're expressing it uh, through what you do, and you're no longer concerned what people are doing and and what people are not doing, because you are doing it as unto the Lord, not to get anything, but because you have everything already. And as a result of her misplaced motives, she she was experiencing anxiety. She was all fretful and fidgety. And she didn't need to have that sort of emotional response. So, Martha, Martha, anxiety is not needful. What is needful is to cast all your anxieties and burdens upon the Lord because he deeply, deeply cares for you, and he wants you to experience that one needful thing. Look, I didn't get married for what I could get out of my wife. I hope I get clean laundry. I hope I get, you know, my favorite sandwich and... Um, you didn't have kids for what you could get out of them. Boy, I hope they really till my field and do all my farm work. No one even has farms anymore. <laughs> Bill Gates owns them all, right? And he runs it by AI, so who really cares? <laughs> you didn't have a wife or a husband or kids for what you could extract out of them. Like, I'm going to have them because I'm building myself a village and an army and you know a little corporation because I'm going to turn it into a profit. And get You didn't do that. And God is not saving you or drawing you unto himself for what he can get out of you. Think about it. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything from us. Anything we do is more of an overflow. It's more of an attitude of, 
gratitude and thankfulness. I'm going to do this because I am so thankful. I'm not going to do this out of duty. I'm doing this out of delight. Anxiety. So this is a statistic, and I deal with this on a regular basis in clinical therapy, but anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness that I see, but it's also the most common illness in the U.S., it affects more than 40 million adults in the United States, ages 18 and older. And they're saying, they just declared the other day, uh, mental health disorders because of COVID and certain other things, children under 18, it's a national state of emergency, if anyone's read that recently. And anxiety is the biggest cause of this. So over 18.1% of the population every year experiences some form of anxiety. And there's many different sort of diagnoses for uh, anxiety. There's many different categor categor categories, but generalized anxiety is probably the most common. Here's what the health department has to say about that. People with generalized anxiety feel, is it up there? Yeah. Um, as though they're always worrying or anxious about a range of things in their daily lives. They have trouble controlling or stopping these worries, whether they're about work, school, money, relationships, or their health. People with generalized anxiety sometimes describe themselves as worry warts and often are told that they worry too much. Uh, they may also experience symptoms of tension, um, including restlessness, tiring easy, easily, difficulty concentrating, irritability, muscle tension, sleep difficulties, and the inability to relax. Sound familiar? Look, some anxiety is normal and you should have some, everyone experiences it. Right? But when it's debilitating, then it's time to consider, like, how, how can I address this? Right? So look at what the Bible has to say in response to this, which I think is very interesting. Because you think of psychology, the Greek word psyche or psyche is just the word for soul. Ology is the study of the soul. Freud didn't invent psychology, people. <laughs> right? Jesus... He, like way in Genesis, God breathed that he made man out of the dust of the earth, Genesis 2-7, and man and woman became a living soul. God created the soul. He knows the soul, which is your mind. It's the seed of your will and your emotions and your, your intellect. He knows it. Your spirit is different, but your soul is how you, it's where you feel. It's where you think. It's where you choose. And here's what the Bible has to say about this. Luke 21, verse 33, and take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts are weighed down with headaches and drinking and anxieties of this life. And this is a, a portion of scripture where Jesus is talking about his uh, second return or the rapture, of the, the rapture of the church and the return of Christ. And he's warning them. He's like, like don't be distracted by all these things because you can't easily be distracted by, by stuff. And I like... Luke 12, 30, or 29, do not seek what you shall eat, what you shall drink, and stop being in anxiety. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you have need of these things. But rather seek the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God delights in he has everything. He delights to freely give us what we need. But a lot of times, 
We just don't believe it. We just don't know what we have, like what we were talking about in Sunday school. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything. Easier said than done, Bible, right? I got bills that are due. I've got deadlines. I've got expectations. I've got a lot lot put on me. And, you know, things seem to be falling apart around my life and around the the world. And, uh, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ. In Sunday school, Brian was mentioning, you know, the, the God of the universe. You know, my power ran out in my, my pack here, and then I, I lost the electronic uh, connection. Um, we have batteries included when we get saved. It's Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into our heart. But there's also an on and off switch on this too. And I wonder how many times we just have it on mute or, you know, like in a standby mode. And I wonder if we really, you know, like having the power of the God of the universe, I was thinking about that, Brian, and I was thinking like, I don't really access that, but I have this tremendous power source and I don't really, and I'm like, what does it take? What does it take? Because you'd think you'd see like the world turned upside down and lives just, what does it take? And I think... I think what helped me in Sunday school was Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's almost like impossible to get that connection and to experience that dynamic, the dunamis in the Greek, the power of God. And I think we all want it. We all need it. We need that peace that passes understanding. I can't explain it theologically or doctrinally. All I know is that I casted all my anxieties and my worries and my fears and I gave them all to Jesus and I'm, and I'm entrusting him with my solical well-being and my spiritual well-being and my, my biological well-being. And I can't explain it because I could only see so far. If he showed me the whole thing, it wouldn't be faith. I can't explain it. But right now in the moment, presently, I'm experiencing an overwhelming sense of peace. And I think it could be accessed and it, and it, it's unlocked by faith, just trusting uh, Jesus. Here's a very famous verse about this subject. Uh, and Peter, cast all your anxiety onto him, for he cares for you. If you're going through something overwhelming, and you just, you can't seem to navigate it, one thing we can do is we could say, I can't figure this out, Jesus. I'm going to give this over to you, and I know you care for me, and I know you're, you have my best interest in mind. It's your good pleasure to give me the kingdom, and you, you tell me not to worry because you take care of the birds, and you take care of the, you know, <laughs> the earth and the sun. You take care of it all. And I don't need to worry, uh, but I do worry, but right now I'm going to, I'm going to set this aside. I'm going to lay it, I'm going to lay it at your feet, Jesus. So here's, here's my kind of takeaway from that. Sometimes we could change the way we think, and it will change the way we act. Other times we change the way we think about why we act and the way we do. So Martha was not wrong in acting the way she did. She was wrong in thinking that her activity would establish her identity. She was idealistic, in other words. She would, and I'm putting this in quotes, I'll be accepted based on what good things I do. Kind of like the prodigal son and the older brother, you know, confused identities. 
the younger brother that messed up, the party kid. Dad's going to reject me based on the bad things that I do. The goody two-shoe one. He stayed at home, did all of his chores and everything. Father's going like, to accept me based on the good things that I did. They were both wrong. The father loved them not based on what they did or didn't do, but based on who they were. And so she doesn't understand this. She's thinking, like, I'm going to do all these good things because this will, gain, this will get me acceptance. And, and so Martha's first order of thinking was that if she did all of the work, that would give her her worth, value, love, life, and acceptance. But she was off on that. So post-resurrection Martha, Martha's second order of thinking after she came to know Christ as life was that she still did what she did. Look, we still need people to like do the dishes and cook the food and all that kind of stuff, right? We're not saying like just, just let everything just happen. Um, if you have that sort of wiring and personality, you don't need to change what you're doing. You just need to change your thinking about what you're doing. Why are you doing this? Does that make sense? Because Martha's, when she, so before she saw her brother die and then have a conversation with Jesus and he said, I'm going to raise him, uh, I am resurrection life. You know, she was serving with this like anxiety. She was troubled. She was distracted. She was fidgety. She was nervous. And she, she didn't even connect with Jesus. In fact, she's telling Jesus what to do and what he shouldn't do. And she's jealous of her sister uh, because grace makes you mad. And she's irritated because she doesn't like what she's doing. It reminds me of this one time I was, I was sharing the gospel. I was going door to door, knocking on, hey, if you die today, are you for sure you're going to go to heaven? And this was the Bible college that I went to mandated it. So it really took, really made it a lot of fun, you know. <laughs> So I'm talking to this one lady, and I said, can I share with you gospel? Sure. I said, and I came to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone could brag or boast. And she was like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings. It's like when his face got on, she's like, you can't say it's free. You've got to work for it. And I was like, whoa, the ring that I had was the gospel. And she, she was, and you know what it reminds me of? People that are doing works for the wrong motives, that's really revealing. It's kind of like the, the people that worked from the morning and they got the coin. And then the people that showed up at the 11th hour and got the same wage. Remember that parable that Jesus, they were all ticked off. Why? Do you agree with the salary? What's, 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 with the, what's the problem? Because grace makes you mad if you're doing works for the wrong reason. Does that make sense? You'll see it all through the Bible. It, from, it's from Genesis, Cain and Abel, same thing. It's from the beginning to the end. It's the same story. Jacob and Esau... I mean, Isaac and Ishmael. It's the same stinking story, the older brother and the younger brother and the prodigal. It's the same grace versus works story because people don't like work, but you know what they don't like more than work? Grace. <laughs> but Martha, Martha connects to something here that changes the way she thinks so that she changes the way she acts. Not doing, not her personality. 
She liked to do the, the kitchen work. But now she's not changing the work. She's changing the why she's working. Okay, so she... So now, after she sees that Jesus raises her brother from the dead, now she knows that this guy is the real deal. He's life. He gives life. He is life. And now think about this. She's excited. She, like, she can't wait to do what she was doing. So in John chapter 12 and verse 2, they made supper there for him, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one reclining. So her brother is doing the same thing that her sister was doing when she was all bothered and had all the anxiety, but now she doesn't care about her brother hanging out with Jesus. She's probably like, you want, to, you want some lamb? Uh, <laughs> how about some lentils? Um, be, are you, did you run out of... I ran out of my, my menu items. Um, but she's all excited to serve and to be a part of this. And, and so uh, that's her personality, but she's changing the way she thinks about service. She's not running off of anxiety as her fuel and, and like, if I do this and I'm going to get something and I'm going to, you know, you know get, get more acceptance and value and worth from Jesus and all the people observing me doing what I'm doing. I think at this point, she doesn't care if people see her or not see her. I don't think at this point she cares if people are sitting and not doing what she's doing. She's like, I don't care. I'm not even doing it for you anymore anyways. She's really connected to why she's doing what she's doing. She's like, I like to do this kind of stuff. I like to do housework. I like to do, you, you fill in the blank. I like to do all this kind of stuff. And I'm not doing it to impress you. And I'm not doing it to get, you know, a bigger spot in the, in the kingdom or get promoted with God and be elevated above you and to be known as someone that's a superior, more spiritual, disciplined Christian. People that run off of that fuel are really hard to be around because they're very competitive. And they, they always need to make you feel worse. So they, because they're insecure, they need to elevate themselves. So you, that's why people do what they do oftentimes. Look, if you had a whole group of people that knew who they were in Christ and they got all their worth and value from their position in Jesus, not their position in the church, how much better church experience would be because you wouldn't have egos competing with egos. You would just be doing what you're doing as unto the Lord. Not neglecting responsibilities, but doing those same responsibilities with a different motive. Right? So that you had Martha with one motive, then her brother was raised from the dead, and then you have Martha with another motive, but doing the same thing. Does that make sense? Really passionate about this. So rest in Christ. I'm going to close with this. I'm not really going to, well, I'm not going to do Judas. He's lame anyways. So rest in Christ. Come unto me, all you that are troubled and weighed down with care, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus' invitation, not to a place, but to a person. Come unto me. Come to me. Come to me. It's like he's saying to Martha, you could come to me also. Your sister came to me. Your brother came to me. Maybe when you get your chores done, just come to me, and you will get rest. So the Greek on this means an intermission, cessation of any motion, business, or labor, rest, recreation. It actually means to vacate with, have a vacation with the Lord. Notice the invitation 
is not to a place, but to a person. So rest is, uh, is not found from the Sabbath, but from the Savior. So rest isn't Saturday, it's actually Jesus. So rest, rest. Let's close out with Mary. I'm going to speed this up because I took longer than I thought on Martha, but I planned on it, but I didn't know about how long. So Mary. Then Mary, Mary took a pound of ointment of pure spikenard, very costly. Could you imagine going to a department store? Hey, I'm looking for... <laughs> Looking for some spikenard. <laughs> you know, I'm going to buy this for my wife. And anointed to the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the, with the odor of the ointment. And then said one of the disciples, Judas, Simon's son, who was to betray him. But we're talking about Mary here. And he goes on to, you know, say that that, that was... Irrelevant, you shouldn't have done that. That was, you know, it was fiscally irresponsible, in other words. But spikenard is a plant that grows only in the Himalayas, in the mountains of India, in Nepal. So Mary's fragrant oil of spikenard was a very rare thing for that part of the country. And it was an imported product into Israel. And what he's saying here is one denarius was the wage for one day's labor. So if Judas' estimate of the value is he's running the numbers, right, of Mary Spikenard is correct, then it would be equivalent to uh, 300 denarii would have been someone's annual salary equivalent to several tens of thousands of dollars in today's economy. I think the average wage in America is like 55000 a year or something like that. Um, so think about that. She's pouring out $55,000 of oil on the feet of Jesus. I mean, so we know the story because Judas is a betrayer, but would you, would you not be like, huh? If you didn't really know what was really taking place? Um, but I don't I want to get into, well, just let's cover Judas. He doesn't, his motive was he didn't care for the poor. He didn't really care for Jesus. Obviously, he betrayed him. He just cared. His motive was selfish. That's his motive. Self-promotion, self-preservation, scarcity, probably fear. And so when he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, he thought he really had his 401k secured. His retirement's done, right? That's what he thought. So he was, he had... Um, depression for his past, but anxiety for his future, and it was based on fear. I don't know if I could I afford the cost of living. Where here we are pouring out, you know, fifty thousand dollars worth of uh, spikenard uh, <laughs> to to Jesus, and I don't even know if he's going to raise from the dead. Remember, he be he betrayed him before Jesus resurrected, but he also saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. Why? Who does he think he's in the company of? Some like some magic roadshow charlatan? What's going through his mind? You often wonder, because it says that the devil entered into the heart of Judas, you often wonder, like, we don't know who the Antichrist is. You often wonder, like, these charismatic people that could be good, you know, public speakers, very charismatic, very salesman -y, they could win over even Christians' kind of approval or even a vote. And then the devil enters that person's heart. I'm not looking at you, Tom. Don't, don't, don't overthink that. Tom's a very likable guy. Maybe that's why. 
So they could be a very likable person. And maybe Judas, you know, maybe he had like, um, maybe he, I don't know what kind of personality he had. But the devil entered into his heart and he betrayed Jesus. So his motives, though, uh, it, it sounded good, right? Like, yeah, Judas, that sounds, why were you wasting $50,000 when we could be giving this to the poor? After all, I mean, we're cruising around with Jesus. We don't have good lodging. We don't have good transportation. I mean, we could even use the money, you know? Like, yeah, what are you doing, Mary? But Mary was motivated by the love and life of Christ. Mary was making this huge costly sacrifice not to get anything from Jesus, but because in Jesus, she knows she has everything. Think about this. Her brother was just raised from the dead. And her giving this $50,000 worth of um, ointment to Jesus to, to show her love and her sacrifice, if she's connected to the Lord of life, what, what has she got to lose? Right? Her brother just was raised from the dead. She's like, even if I, even if I gave my nest egg away, God's got it, yo. Right? Jesus has got this thing. And so she's really operating. Her motive is, is one of faith. And I just want to close with this and then move into some table talk discussion. But you can give it all when you know that you have it all. Let's, let's cruise through these verses here. And I, and I don't want to just make these flyover verses because um, these are verses that we really need to take ownership of. This is like me reading your last will and testament from Jesus to you. And I, I don't know if we had that slide. 1 Corinthians 2.12, but we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit from God, so that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. So the spirit wants to like, uh, bear witness with your spirit, daughter, son, child, you have everything already. You can you could step out in faith. I have you. Consider the, consider the, the birds, consider the field. Don't worry so much. I've got this, right? I'm, I don't mean to speak in first person, but that helps. You know, God's saying, he's telling us we have everything when we have Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3.21, I had really not noticed this verse until this last week when I was studying this, this uh, message. Therefore, let no one glory in men, for all things are yours. Okay, okay. Whether it is Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. So everything Jesus has, we have. Not because we earn it or deserve it, just because we're, we're related to Jesus by faith through grace. We're joint heirs. We're ambassadors. We're children of the king. We're in the kingdom by our birth, not our behavior. We didn't, we didn't earn our way in. We were born into it by our faith. 2 Peter 1.3, I love, love, love this passage. I hope you do too. Or if you haven't like connected with it, I hope you do. It's saying so much. And it could be, this could be a, you know, a month's worth of messages from this one verse. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue. Through these things he has given us his precious and magnificent promises so that through them, those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. That's his power, his ability, his person, his character. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus. We have his mind. We have his emotions. We have access to it. But he's given us this divine power. And so look at where he says, he has given us everything we need for life. I don't feel like that most of the time. I don't know about you. Often I find myself struggling or resorting to my own resources. Um, But he did give us the batteries. And they're everlasting batteries. Uh, Romans 8.32, this is a great passage. Truly, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let me put it to you this way. If God gave us the best, why would he withhold the least? So, Joe Jr., if I give you the keys to, what's your favorite car? Just think of this, the first supercar that comes to your mind. Corvette, the new ones, right? With the rear engine in the back. Yeah, because they're like supercars now, right? They're upgrading. So here's your new keys to your Corvette. Cutting a good catch, good catch. He goes out to the parking lot. What color is it? Nice purple. <laughs> um, like he just got signed on the Lakers or something, right? I mean, so he goes out there. He, he, he fires it up, you know, and it just, I mean, it's a high revving car. It just like, it, it just loves to be at like 9,000, right? <laughs> Angry. I could go 200 and something. <laughs> so... But he looks down on the floor and he's like, oh, thanks, Neil. Thanks for this like $300,000 car. Where's the floor mats? <laughs> so this is that verse to me. If God's going to give you the best of the best, right? That is like one of the best cars ever. You picked a really good one, right? <laughs> so he, if God's going to give you the best of the best when he gave you Jesus, eternal life, all of your sins are forgiven. Do you think he's going to not give you the floor mats? And we worry and we struggle and we strive and we fret. He already gave you. That's what, that's what she's, she's connecting with. She, her brother got raised from the dead, and she knows that she could give everything because she has everything in Christ. Look, easier said than done. I could teach this and preach this. I need to walk by faith and put this stuff in practice too. I need to believe who I am, and I need to know what I have in Christ.